Hello, everyone. Welcome to Notorious SHE, a podcast where women in STEM share their experiences and expertise with the next generation of women in STEM. I'm your host, Gabby Hall. On today's episode, we will be joined with Dr. Francine Berman of UMass Amherst. Before she joins us, it's time for our lightning lesson. On today's lightning lesson, we will be discussing data gathering and the Internet of Things. What is data gathering? Data has become one of the world's most valuable resources thanks to the rapid digital transformation of global industries. In today's digital era, the fourth industrial revolution, customer data is the new oil, giving tremendous economic power to companies that produce and control it, and a pivotal information advantage when it comes to thriving in the global competitive battlefield. There are essentially three different ways that companies collect data about their customers, by asking them directly for it, indirectly tracking them, and by acquiring it from other companies. Indirect tracking comes in the form of cookies, web beacons, social media, email tracking, and others. Not all data collection is bad. Websites often save your data to better personalize and improve your experiences with them. Similarly, not all online advertising is bad. On the upside, online tracking should deliver you more useful, relevant ads. On the downside, many advertisers don't offer users real choices and control over what data is collected about them. The complex relationship between user preferences for privacy and non-intrusive ads and the need for online entities to thrive will continue to be a negotiation for years to come as content makers and consumers navigate what makes for a vibrant, healthy internet for everyone. Now, what is the Internet of Things? The Internet of Things, or IoT, refers to the billions of physical devices around the world that are now connected to the internet, all collecting and sharing data. Pretty much any physical object can be transformed into an Internet of Things device if it can be connected to the internet and be controlled or communicate information. Some top skills for Internet of Things professionals are embedded software development, networking, data, AI, and software. That concludes today's lightning lesson. On today's episode, we will be joined by Dr. Francine Bernman of UMass Amherst. Before she joins us, it's time for our lightning lesson. On today's lesson, we will be discussing data, data gathering and the Internet of Things. What is the Internet of Things, or IoT? The Internet of Things refers to the billions of physical devices around the world that are now connected to the Internet, all collecting and sharing data. Pretty much any physical object can be transformed into an IoT device if it can be connected to the Internet and controlled or communicate information. What is data gathering? Data has become one of the world's most valuable resources thanks to the rapid digital transformation of global industries. In today's era, the fourth industrial revolution, customer data is the new oil, giving tremendous economic power to companies that produce and control it, and a pivotal informational advantage when it comes to the thriving in global competitive battlefield. There are essentially three different ways that companies collect data about their customers, by directly asking them for it, by indirectly tracking them, and by acquiring it from other companies. Indirect tracking comes in the form of cookies, web beacons, social media, email tracking, and others. Not all data collection is bad. Websites often save your data to better personalize and improve your experiences with them. Similarly, not all online advertising is bad. On the upside, online tracking should deliver you more useful, relevant ads. 
On the downside, many advertisers don't offer users real choices and control over what data is being collected about them. The complex relationship between user preferences for privacy and non-intrusive ads and the needs for online entities to thrive will continue to be in negotiation for years to come. As content makers and consumers navigate what makes for a vibrant, healthy internet for any, everyone. If you're interested in learning more about how your data is gathered and used, you should check out the Social Dilemma documentary on Netflix. Some top skills for Internet of Things professionals include embedded software development, networking, data and AI, and software. Today I'm meeting with Dr. Francine Berman, an American computer science, a leader in digital data preservation and cyber infrastructure, and an Edward P. Hamilton Distinguished Professor of Computer Science at Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute. Thank you for being with us, Dr. Berman. Oh, it's great to be here. Uh, before we begin, why don't you just tell us a little bit about what it is that you do? Um, I'm really a public interest technologist, and what that means is the question I always think about is, is technology good for you? And what can we do to uh, evolve it and design it and build it and regulate it so it is good for you? And, um, and I think about that a lot as the world becomes increasingly digital and increasingly driven by technology. So if you think about it, it would be difficult for any of us to uh, navigate the world we're in without our phones, without our computers, without the web, and all of that. And the question is, you know, how can we make that empower us and not, uh, uh, you know, be an overseer for us? Mm -hmm. uh, could you talk a little bit about your journey of getting into STEM? Um, well, I was always a math kid. Uh, ever since I was little, I loved math. I loved puzzles, and I loved solving problems, and you know all this kind of stuff. So uh, I always gravitated toward math in elementary school, and junior high, and high school, and college. And I was a math major all the way through, including graduate school. And um, I don't know; it just it just fascinated me. I just think that the world of numbers uh, and abstract concepts is terrific. That's awesome. Um, so from what I've gathered, it seems like you work a lot with the Internet of Things. Could you explain to our listeners what the Internet of Things is? Um, well, one thing to know is that uh, all of our listeners are probably part of the Internet of Things. If you have an iPhone or a Fitbit or an Alexa, a connected doorbell, a smart toaster, uh, implanted insulin pump or pacemaker. They might have family that uh, have things like that. A Tesla. Um, you're part of the Internet of Things. Anything connected to the Internet, any device that's connected to the Internet um, uh, is part of the Internet of Things. And um, increasingly, uh, these, uh, these devices uh, gather your data and exchange your data, sometimes without your knowledge. They make decisions, uh, sometimes without your knowledge, um, and they navigate in the background. And so uh, they're incredibly important in the world we live in. And one of the challenges is how do we make sure that all of that is good for us? So if you drive in my car, which is not part of the Internet of Things, um, and uh, is a pretty old clunky car, um, I'm not really worried about data from my conversations being shared. But if you drive a connected car, 
a car that drives itself, perhaps it's gathering data about you all the time, you don't own that data. And it's not clear what rights you have to that data. And it may be that the car manufacturer actually has the rights to that data, to share that data with law enforcement or others, the contents of your conversation, etc. So, you know, as we navigate this kind of brave new world, uh, where you can hack a self-driving car, where you can share information from it, and you can do that with a smart refrigerator, you can do that with an Alexa, you can do that with the information on your Fitbit. The question is, what kind of societal rules do we need to make sure those things are safe for us, and that the information we want to be private is private, and that they're secure? So, you know, if, if a self-driving car is essentially a big computer, there's going to be lots of different ways uh, to run it off the road. So we want to make sure that it's safe. And so all of those kinds of regulations and science problems to be solved and, and other things are things that we need to work on and it's not just technologists. Um, social scientists need to think about them, policymakers need to see, think about them, uh, engineers need to think about them, anthropologists need to think about them. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's a big group that has to think about how we make this world uh, and our technology safe. So kind of going on that point, um, what should future engineers and people in the STEM community keep in mind with respect to social and environmental impacts of their work? And, and it's not just engineers and technologists, it's everybody. Mm -hmm. As a citizen, um, it's, it's not so important that you know how the uh, operating system of your smartphone works. But it's really important for you to know that your smartphone is gathering data and the kind of gathering uh, data that it's gathering and, and you should know, you know what's being done with that data. Um, you should know what net neutrality means and um, whether that will benefit you or uh, be a downside for you so that you know, um, when the business model of the internet changes, what does that mean? You should know whether your car is safe, or your refrigerator is safe, or your doorbell is safe. Um, and, and you should know whether your baby monitor can be hacked, uh, and many baby monitors can. And so as a citizen, as well as a technologist who might design these products, it's really important for us to be thinking about it. And, and just as a, as a citizen who may not be involved with technology at all, knowing that your technology has some power over your life over the opportunities presented to you, over the pricing that might be presented to you if you look for something on the internet, um, knowing that will help you um, navigate with thoughtfulness. Um, and that even goes to sort of how you live your life, which products you buy, which people you vote for, um, you know, which uh, services you sign up for. And so I think it's pretty important for us all to educate ourselves. And, and for me, that starts with um, education we can provide in the university, which is where public interest technology comes from, uh, comes in, is, you know, how can we help um, the college students of today who are the public servants and leaders and entrepreneurs and citizens of tomorrow better understand the technological world we live in and make good decisions in that. How do you see the internet changing and evolving over time? Um, I think we're going to see a lot more disasters, and I think we're going to see um, a lot more ways of uh, fixing it. So, you know, I think it is it, it has been our experience that when something goes really, really wrong, we think about how we can fix it and regulate it. 
sometimes we get ahead of those things by creating standards or designing protections in. Um, and I think over time we are going to migrate um, to a space where hopefully the internet and the technologies we use will be better for us, or at least we'll be able to understand the risks of using them. But I think right now it's kind of a wild west out there. Mm -hmm. And uh, people innovate and they do wonderful things, but there are unanticipated consequences on your freedom, on your privacy, on your safety, etc. And as we kind of understand those things more and more, um, I think it, it gives us an opportunity to make better products. Making better products is sometimes a more expensive enterprise. So that's where the government comes in, where it's important for them to expect our products to be safe for us rather than just letting uh, manufacturers just decide. Mm -hmm. For any listeners who are interested in following a similar kind of career path, uh, going into Internet of Things, uh, what would you say is the most important skill that they can learn or develop? Well, I will tell you that my career path, like a lot of people's career path, um, consisted of me following my passions. So it was not linear. And um, uh, so, you know, I was really interested in math, and I got my PhD in math. And uh, while I was in a PhD student in math, I got very interested in theoretical computer science, which is where I had my first job. And on that job, I got really interested in high-performance computing and data and the Internet of Things. And so I kind of followed my passions. And there's nothing like waking up in the morning and like feeling like you want to think about the things you're supposed to be doing all day. So I would say professionally, um, you know, some people just set a lifelong goal. By the end of my life, I'll get a Nobel Prize in this or, or I'll be president of that. But, you know, most of us just pay attention to how we feel about the things we're doing. And, um, and if we're lucky, we can follow the things we really care about. And that's what I do. Um, in terms of skills, I would say the best professional skills that one could have are uh, resiliency. Because, you know, professional life is, uh, is hard sometimes, you know, uh, things don't work out or you fail pretty regularly or, um, or you're learning something new and you're not doing it well. And just having resiliency, you know, being like that energizer buddy that gets knocked over and just keeps coming up is pretty important. Um, it's really important to have integrity. You want to wake up every morning and sort of feel like what you're doing is the right thing to do. Um, Cheating is often easy, and it's often a really great way to get successful. I wouldn't recommend it. I don't think it's a really good idea. Um, and then I think there's a lot of other things. You know, for many of us who went into science, including me and math, um, you know, I'm just a really curious person. I really love, you know, thinking about, well, why does that happen? Or, you know, how do we do that? Or, or what, we, what could we do with that? And I think a lot of people in science are, you know, highly curious. Um, you have to be able to tolerate uncertainty if you go into a research or an academic career and failure, which you fail pretty regularly. You fail much more than you succeed. But that's sort of part of figuring stuff out. And um, I would say it's, uh, you know, to be successful in life, you know, to be able to follow your passions and to be able to kind of um, stay focused on who you are and what you like to do and try to do it in a high integrity, resilient way. Those are really useful um, attributes to have. So, and it's fun, and you got to have fun. 
I mean, if you're not doing something that doesn't, that doesn't, you know, regularly feel fun, you're not doing the right thing. That's great advice. Um, so how has it been for you as a woman in STEM? How do you feel like that has impacted your career, if it has at all? Um, I would say um, I have sampled all three modes. Sometimes it made a negative difference. Sometimes it made no difference at all. And sometimes it actually made a positive difference. And I think most women in STEM I know, and I know a lot of them, um, you know, we all have this thing where um, you show up in a situation, you may or may not get extra attention uh, from being a woman. You may or may not have extra expectations because you're a woman. Um, it may be that, you know, people don't care what your gender is or that people get to know you and they get to know you for who you are and your gender doesn't really matter. And, and I would say for most of us, maybe for all of us, all three modes are operational. And, you know, and then you have to sort of figure out, you know, like how do I navigate this ecosystem where there are extra rocks in my backpack or where there are fewer rocks in my backpack or where there are the same number of rocks in my backpack going up the same trail as everybody else. So what does community mean to you? I know you're really involved with the Anita B organization and all these other incredible organizations for women. So really, what does community mean to you within the realm of your career? Um, community has always been super important to me, really important to me. And, you know, your community is kind of like your professional family. Sometimes they're your personal family, too, you know, um, in your real life. But, um, I, you know, they're... If you're collaborative, uh, you know, they're where your collaborators come from, they're where your colleagues come from, they're where the people who um, make decisions about what you do, they're where the people you mentor come from. And, um, and to me, building community means that the stuff that all of us do is better stuff. And um, it feels good to have fellow travelers. And, um, and so I would say that community is a really important part of that. As a woman in STEM, as a woman in computer science, um, there are people who I have known for many, many, many years, um, and we kind of peer mentor each other. You know, they tell me their stuff, and I tell them my stuff, and um, we kind of, you know, muddle through together. And many of them are women, and we've had some similar experiences, but not all of them. There's some great men in in my, uh, you know, peer mentor circles as well. And um, so one thing I would say is that uh, it's often a little harder for women because there's so few of us. Um, but don't write off the men because there's a lot of men who really get this and who are really great uh, colleagues and collaborators and partners. And, and there's some women who are not that, who don't play well with others too. So, you know, don't assume that just because someone's a particular gender um, that uh, you'll have one kind of relationship with them or another. How have uh, mentors impacted your career? Um, so I haven't had a lot of formal mentors, but I've had a ton of informal mentors. So, um, and I've had a ton of informal mentees um, and some formal mentees. And I would say the important thing about mentorship is to find someone 
who can be safe and trustworthy and um, whose advice you think is um, useful to you. And I think, you know, it's hard to just be assigned that person. Um, you know, like any relationship, you find the people you really connect with well in, in a way by you meet them and it's kind of you evolve together. It's a bit trial and error. And so I would say formal mentorship programs are great and I recommend them, but you know, you can find your mentors anywhere. And you can be mentored as a woman in STEM by a man in STEM or a man in anthropology or, you know, a woman in, um, you know, textile science or, you know, all kinds of things or somebody who's not in academia at all if you're an academic. So I would say finding trusted people to kind of brainstorm, professionally brainstorm with um, are very useful. I had an aunt um, uh, who's now not here anymore, but I remember I used to talk to her all the time about the ins and outs of my business in academics and the ins and outs of her business of uh, being an artist. And it turned out that, uh, and I talked to actually my daughter about this all the time, and she's in the business of dance making and dance. And, you know, the politics of dealing with communities of people are often very similar, no matter what your world. So um, just because you're in STEM doesn't necessarily mean that you need STEM people as mentors. Um, but I would say mentorship is really, really important. And don't just assume you need a formal mentor. Mm -hmm. Just go out and find one. Find more than one. You'll get good advice from lots of other people. It's interesting that you bring up people in um, more artistic careers uh, especially, you know, working with a school like RPI that's very STEM focused and there isn't really too much emphasis on the arts. Do you think that there should be an increase in integration between the arts and STEM? Uh, and if so, how do you feel that that would benefit either, either platform? Um, I definitely feel that way. I think that, um, you know, we tend to put uh, structure on the world that doesn't really exist. I mean, if you think about it, you know, anything you might engineer or create an algorithm, you know, touches people in other kinds of ways through its design, through its functionality, through the way that they interact in their life. And the arts are really important. I mean, I think, you know, a life with just science and without the arts doesn't make any sense to me. I, I, I think both are really important. And, and, there's, and they have a lot in common. So yeah, I, I feel very strongly that these things should be integrated and they're integrated in my own life. You know, like I really care about um, the aesthetics and the conceptualization about things and I care about the analysis and I care about the data. And in my personal life, I do a lot of stuff um, involving both science and the arts. And, um, and I enjoy things that involves both science and the arts. So um, yeah, I think, I think we're, selling ourselves short if we just focus on one thing or another. I love that. Thank you so much. Um, For sure. You're clearly an incredibly accomplished woman. What to you has been the highlight of your career? Um, this far. <laughs> wow. Uh, you know, I have to say, you know, my career is constantly evolving and I'm always looking forward to what I'm doing next. and. Uh, you know, I, I just love having had the opportunity to do the things that I'm passionate about. 
and I think that's been true every step along the way when I you know when I was really thinking all the time about pure mathematics I got to do that and uh, when I wanted to um, see what leadership was like I got to run a supercomputer center and um, and and now I'm really passionate about public interest technology and I get to do that and so I just think uh, getting to explore my passions has been wonderful. That's really great. Uh, do you have any recommendations for resources that you think more people should um, be aware of? Um, you know, I think curiosity is a great thing. And I think um, expanding your horizons is a great thing. And, you know, one thing I tell my own students is read widely. Read from everything. You know, uh, read science and read The New Yorker and read novels and you know, read instruction manuals, and, you know, like, read, read everything, read from other countries, um, get other points of view, read from other sides of the political spectrum. Um, all of those things are super important. Um, I think that uh, in your personal life, you ought to be doing something that's not work. And so I have things that I really care about. I kayak, I take ballet lessons. I hike, you know, I do all kinds of things that really do a lot for me. And, um, and they're really important to me. Um, you know, get to know like a lot of different people with different points of view. Get to know people who grew up speaking another language or in a different culture um, or who's not like you. And I, I would say, you know, rather than, I don't know, I always think, you know, really cool people are T-shaped people. They have a lot of breath and they have depth as well. And um, so, you know, you can spend all your time like learning about um, artificial intelligence or, um, you know, architecture, computer architecture, something like that. Um, you know, but you ought to take in a movie once in a while or, um, you know, eat some food that you from a country you never heard of or, you know, whatever. Um, so I do think those things are really important. And I think it makes you an interesting person, but also it also feeds your creativity, and so I think your actual professional work is better. That's great. I absolutely agree with you. Uh, I just have one final question for this interview, and that's what advice do you want to leave the listeners with? Um, don't take anybody's advice. Listen to yourself. <laughs> uh, listen to what you really care about and start paying attention to that and try to figure out how you can do more of that uh, in your own life. Because I think that's really important, especially a lot of students um, that I've met. You know, there's a lot of people to make happy. Their parents and their family and their advisors and this and that. And, uh, you know, they'll say, well, I want to be, you know, I want to be CEO of my own business in 10 years. And what business is that? Well, they're not sure. Well, a business is never successful unless you're doing the things that you really care about because you're going to spend 24-7 doing it and a lot of it won't be that fun. Mm -hmm. So, you know, starting with stuff you're passionate about is important. So, I Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Berman. Check out the Notorious SHE website for links to resources relating to today's episode. Thanks again for joining us, everyone. As always, I'm Gabby Hall, and this is Notorious SHE.